Revelation chapter 11. Let's pick up where we left off. We'll keep moving through Revelation here. But I just appreciate you being the kind of people I can preach to like I can. You're coming from all these different backgrounds from all over the planet, man, as far as uh, doctrine and all the rest of that is concerned. And I didn't say this this morning, but I was thinking about it. And so just give me a break here, please. It's on my heart. But it's wild to me that you come from all these different backgrounds. And some of you have been saved two, three, four, five years. Some of you have been saved 20 years, 30 years, more. But you take preaching that a lot of people that have been born and raised in Bible-believing, independent, fundamental Baptist churches can't take. That speaks volumes for you. So yeah, I might have a very, we might be a very different church as compared to those that you would compare us to, but I love what we got, and I think God's in it. So I, I appreciate you being the kind of people you are. Let's pray and we'll dive in here. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your words. I ask you to please be with my mind and my mouth as we continue through this chapter. I pray you'd help me to have my thoughts collected and uh, give me the strength that I need to be able to make sense of this stuff and uh, show your people the truths of the Word of God. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we're in Revelation chapter 11 and we're looking at these two witnesses and we've already uh, pretty well uh, proven to you that these two witnesses in verse number 4, the two olive trees, and we showed you last time that olive trees in the Bible is a type of Israel. An olive tree represents Israel throughout the scriptures and we gave you the references on that. And then it's the two candlesticks. So it's the two things these two witnesses in the tribulation period are likened to and they're standing before the God of the earth in verse 4. And then in verse 5 it says, If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Which is a, a wild thing. It's an ability that God gives them. And these two guys are preaching in the tribulation period. So what most all of you understand, but give me just a second here, forgive me. Right now, where you're sitting tonight in 2023, you are in what the Bible tells us very clearly as we study the scriptures. You're in the church age. You're in the time period right now where God is dealing with the New Testament Gentile church. What had happened is in the Old Testament, God was dealing with the Jew throughout the majority of your Old Testament. From the time Abraham shows up and God gives him the promises and brings in Israel, God's dealing with Israel. And back then, if a Gentile wanted salvation, very different than the way you're saved because Christ hadn't died on the cross yet. But if a Gentile wanted salvation, they had to come in under the Jewish system. They were system. They were called a stranger in the Old Testament. That was the Gentile coming in under the Jewish system. Well, their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and he preached to them. He lived the perfect life, 33 and a half years. And he offered to the Jews first, he offered the truth. He preached throughout the book of Matthew, the gospel of the, you can finish it, the gospel of the kingdom, gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that's weird because nowadays you walk into churches and they're all like, kingdom come and we pray for the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, but you're not in the kingdom. What the kingdom was, was the king, the Messiah of Israel came and preached to his people. He came into his own. That's why he referred to the woman as a Gentile dog. You see some of the offensive things Jesus Christ said? He was telling them, I'm coming for the Jew. You're a Gentile. Yea, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he's like, my goodness, I haven't found faith like that. No, not in Israel. He came to his own and his own received him not. That was the Jews. They rejected their Messiah. They crucified him. And then when he died, he was buried. He rose again the third day. Now, you know all about that. 
He died at what killed him. He was perfect. The wages of sin is death. The reason you die is because you're a sinner. If Jesus Christ died, what killed him? Because he was perfect. You realize if you could be born sinless and never ever sin one time in your whole life, you wouldn't die? The payment for sin is death. And Jesus Christ lived the perfect life but still died. The Bible tells us God, God, He hath made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It's your sin and my sin that killed Him. They buried Him. The gospel is three days and three nights. It's part of the gospel in the lower parts of the earth. He descends down into hell, puts your sin there. We talked about it recently. He preaches to the spirits in prison. He preaches to the people in hell, explaining to them what happened, crosses over into Abraham's bosom where all those Old Testament saints went, and leads captivity captive. Remember talking about that? We just talked about it a couple weeks ago, I believe. And he rises again the third day. And if you notice when you're reading the book of Acts, early on in the book of Acts... You know what he did? He told them to the Jew first. Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. Those were the half-breeds. So he's starting with the closest, and then he moves out to Judea, and then he goes out to, to Samaria. And then he said the uttermost part of the earth. So early on in the book of Acts, what was happening is he was preaching to his people again. God gave Israel another chance to receive their Messiah. And they stoned Stephen in Acts chapter 7. They, they rejected their Messiah a second time. That's what people don't understand when they read their Bible, especially when they're reading Acts. They rejected their Messiah a second time. And when they did, the Apostle Paul comes on the scene as the Apostle to the... Oh, that's your Apostle. So when you start reading through your New Testament, you're not getting into church-age doctrine where the book of Romans tells us, and we saw it last week, the olive tree, remember reading that in Romans 11? He broke off the natural branches. The natural branches are the Jews. He said, fine, since you won't receive it, Paul was commanded of God to leave them Jews alone and go to the Gentiles, and it drove Paul crazy. We'll see this as we start going through the book of Romans, I think, probably on Wednesday night. Don't hold me to it yet, but pretty sure we're going to be going there on Wednesday nights now, verse by verse through Romans. So what God did is God broke off the Jew because the Jew rejected him a second time, and now since that time, he's been dealing with the Gentiles. That's your church-age epistles. You got Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians are to the church at Corinth. Galatians to the church in Galatia. Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. Your doctrine is coming from those epistles. That's the time period that you're in right now. When you get to the end of the church age, we're all going to get raptured out. And what God's going to do when he raptures us out is the great tribulation is going to begin on this earth. And God's going to go back to the Jew who he has rejected for now. He raptures the Gentile bride out, and then God begins to deal with the Jew, and, and that thing goes on during the tribulation period, which is what we're looking at right now in your Revelation chapter 11. So people get all confused on their Bible doctrine. Can you lose your salvation? Can you not lose your salvation? And they go to the New Testament, show you verses from Matthew that say you can lose your salvation. Those verses are not talking to you and I in the church. Jesus was preaching to the Gentile, about, to the Jew, about the kingdom. So there's doctrine in the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation, that doesn't apply to the church period. And that's where all these religions get all jacked up. 
They get all confused because they don't just believe the Bible says what it means and means what it says and study it in context and pay attention to the words. Every word of God is pure. We believe the King James Bible is the word of God because it is the authority that God gave us in our language. And when you change the Bible, you change doctrine accidentally, just making it easier to understand. We're trying to make it, make it match. Okay, well, you're messing it all up because the Lord knew what he was doing when he put that book together. So what happens is a lot of these religions nowadays will tell you that these two, uh, these two witnesses are, uh, they make up their own stuff. Uh, some say it's got to be uh, Moses and Enoch because Enoch didn't die. We talked about that. Enoch got raptured out because he's a type of the church. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. Enoch's not one of these two. He didn't die because he's the exception that proves the rule. Just like some of us are going to make it. And I said some of us because I really hope and pray he comes back in my lifetime. When you look at the way this world is going right now, man, you've got to think he's coming soon. This place is an absolute train wreck, and it's getting worse. And the Bible told you it'd get worse. I mean, you look at the loss of natural affection. You look at the way mamas don't even know how to be a mama anymore. It's heartbreaking. It's a sign of a falling away. You look at the fact that daddies don't even know how to be a dad anymore. Stinking jerks will dump their kids and take off and not even look back and just take care of themselves all the time. Just constantly looking for another woman and just disregard. I mean, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. Young men growing up without a dad in their life. Do you know how horrible that is? No, literally. Do you know how horrible that is? Little girls to grow up without a daddy. Every little girl needs a, needs a kind, loving, strong, gentle, clean daddy. She needs to understand what it's like to have a man love her that'll love her the right way and protect her and provide for her so she knows what to look for when she's looking for a husband. They don't got it anymore. This world's a mess, folks. Well, you're getting close to the coming of Jesus Christ, and one of the best signs of it is that mess isn't just out in the world now. It's in the churches. Save people that don't even know how to act. You're getting close to the coming of the Lord. And so since they don't believe the Bible, God's people don't know how to live anymore. They don't know what to believe anymore. And the Bible makes it really clear when you compare Scripture to Scripture who these two people are. You don't have to be confused about this. It says in verse 5, If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must be killed in this manner. Uh, he must in this manner be killed, excuse me. These have the power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and a power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So what you know is that Moses and Elijah both had those abilities. They both had, could call out plagues. They both uh, 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 burned up their enemies by fire. And we showed you the references last time. Let me give you just a couple more. We're not going to turn to them. But a couple of more ways you know these are both Moses and Elijah. Both of them were anointed. Elijah brought a drought. Moses brought the plagues. Both of them are on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Both of them fast 40 days and 40 nights. Both of them are on the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament. Both are mentioned in the closing of the Old Testament in context of the second coming. And we showed you last time the passages on that over in Zechariah and in Malachi. There's no doubt about who these two are. Notice it says that they were, when we were in, I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time because I'm already running behind. But notice last time I showed you, I believe in Zechariah, it said these are the anointed ones, right? These are the anointed ones. And it references Moses and Elijah. They were already anointed at that time. You say, why are you making that point, preacher? 
Because jackleg idiots that want to manipulate you to get you in their church and to get your money will make up all kinds of stuff about how these two... You know, you know the Book of Mormon say that's the Book of Mormon in the Bible? Well, they were already anointed long before, long before the Book of Mormon was ever written. How could it be the Book of Mormon? You can pull any verse out of Scripture and twist it around and tell people, well, look at this verse, and this is what that means. But how do you know for sure that what you're reading and you're interpreting the way God wants it interpreted? No prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Do you know what that means? That means God doesn't care how you look at the passage. God doesn't care what you think it means. God's saying, you don't get to privately interpret the passage of Scripture. God spoke what He said the way He said it because He wants us to know what He said. So I don't take one verse and interpret that verse based on that verse. That private interpretation means you compare spiritual things with spiritual, and when you run the references on who these guys are, man, we saw it last time. There's no doubt about the fact that that's Moses and Elijah. I'm not making that up and telling you this is my doctrine. The Bible makes it clear, which is really great. That's why we can be fairly confident about what we teach and what we believe. I mean, let let me say that wrong. Let me say that better. I'm tired. Let me say that wrong. Did I just say that? I said that wrong. That was wrong. Let me say that right. I am very confident about what I believe. There are some things that are hard to figure out when you run through the scriptures because you come across some hard passages. That's honest. Like this morning, I told you, nobody's really ever figured out who these guys are. This is my guess, and here's why, and here's the scriptures that explain why, right? So when you come across hard passages that are sort of difficult to figure out, we can be fairly confident in some of those passages that this is the best guess on this one, and here's why. Why? Because we're not privately interpreting them. We compare the confusing passages to the clear passages, and the clear passages give us light on the confusing passages, and we have great developing, growing confidence in the Word of God and the doctrine that God's given us because we're studying the Bible and we're letting the Bible be the Bible, not trying to make it fit our denomination. Look at verse 7. And when they had finished their testimony, Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, the beast... Here's the first time the beast is mentioned in the book of Revelation. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. (laughs) Now, how about that for a prosperity gospel? If you're doing right and serving God, everything's going to work out. These guys are serving God. They're anointed to God so much that they're miraculously using plagues. And when people withstand them, they're opening their mouth. And, you know what I mean? Like that, man, that'd be cool. I'm sorry. That's the wrong testament. That's the wrong dispensation here. Wouldn't that be great? And then God, God allows the beast to come out of the bottomless pit and kill them both. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I, uh, these guys that try to, try, to, try to get you to follow God because God's going to be good to you if you do, I think they're false prophets. Try to get you to give because if you give, then God will bless you financially. That's a manipulation, man. I know when I'm being manipulated. I, I might be a preacher and you know, I might look like I don't know nothing, but I might know more than you think I do. I know when you're a snake. I hate that stuff. Look at Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, look at verse 8. We're looking at this beast now. 
He comes out out of the bottomless pit and he overcomes these two guys that are God's men, miraculously preaching, sent back from God. These guys come back from the dead and they're standing on this planet in the tribulation period preaching and the beast comes up and kills them. The beast that thou sawest, Revelation 17, 8, was. He's been here before and is not. He's gone and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. He comes back. And go into perdition, that's his future. Notice what, it, what, what that word is. goes into what? Well, have we seen some passages already as we've gone through Revelation about the son of perdition? Ain't it a funny thing that in your King James Bible, we'll, we'll probably go over there in a second, Jesus Christ hands Judas a SOP. Now, when's the last time any of you said, would you pass the SOP, please? Ah, the King James Bible's archaic. We need to update it so that people can understand it better. And they go on and they update that phrase for you. And you know what? The motive behind there's a spirit behind that. I am telling you, there's a powerful and demonic spirit behind somebody messing with the words of God. Because he don't want you to know who he is because he's afraid that you find out who he is. You'll be, you won't anymore be ignorant of his devices and he wants you ignorant of his devices so he can destroy your life. So the King James Bible says he passes them. A, he says whoever I hand the sop to, and he hands them a sop, and that actually has meaning in Old English. And these idiots nowadays that claim to be men of God, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a jerk, and I, especially to our first-time visitors. I don't want you to think I'm an idiot, but I think they're idiots. I don't like it when men that are paid full time they live off the Bible in your lap. They they live off that book. That's what they get paid to do, and then they don't study the Bible enough and run the references enough and beg God for truth enough to be able to teach people the Bible. Instead, they say, that's too hard to understand. You've got to come to me so that I'll explain that to you. Let's change that, and let's make it easier for you. And what they're doing is playing right into the hands of the devil. God said the word sop so you know who the son of perdition, S-O-P, is. And I'm going to show you in a second. It's, it's Judas. This guy in Revelation is Judas. You, folks, your Bible's an amazing book. It's exciting when you learn it. You don't have to give people rock concerts and big shows and all that stuff. Just give them the Bible. The Bible's more... You, you, look, we just got back from camp, okay? The Bible will grab your kid's attention. If you'll get around somebody that'll preach and teach the Bible, they'll be interested in that book. He comes out of the bottomless pit. So, so he's killed and comes back to life and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold... The beast that was, and is not, and yet is. You know what he does? He rises from the dead and says, I'm Jesus. He is a copycat of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible tells you to the church in the book of Corinthians, he says, no marvel, for the Satan himself appears as an angel of light, and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. Now, ain't that a scary thought? You want to know where the devil's working, if the devil's really working? I know what most people think. You know, oh, he's working down in the whorehouse and the crack house and the bar. You know, for the most part, listen, by the way, those things will destroy your life. But for the most part, if the devil's working there much, he just bumps them that direction. Your flesh will take over once you mess with that stuff. And keep you captive and wreck your life. And yes, you do open yourself up to a bunch of demonic spirits. That's why it says food and what? Yeah, there's no coincidence to that. 
anything that alters your state of mind and, you know, you got to have that thing, it opens you up to something. I, I think so much better on it. Yeah, I'll bet you do. You opening yourself up to something demonic. But for the most part, what you got in all that stuff is the flesh. You know where the devil really works? In church. He's a copycat of Jesus Christ, and that's what he's doing here. Look back at Revelation 17.1, and we'll expound on this more. I'll just point it out to you. We'll expound on this more when we get to it in a couple of weeks. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show thee the judgment, show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And what you're going to find out when we get to that is she's a religious whore. She's the bride of the beast. You mean Jesus Christ has a bride called the church? Yep. And Lucifer has a bride too? Yep. Ain't that wild? Uh, but that's not all. I've got to show you some more verses on this. Go to uh, John chapter number 60, if you would. John chapter number 60. I find this very interesting, and I, I shouldn't have to spend too much time here because I already bumped on it here just a second ago. But uh, John... John chapter 60, is that what I said? I hear y'all whispering, okay? I did say 60. It's, it's verse 60. John chapter 7. We'll start in verse 61. It's John chapter 6. They were, just, they were just teasing me this afternoon. It was horrible. Where's Mrs. Deaton? I need her tonight. She said in this, huh? Mrs. Morse. Sorry, Mrs. Deaton's right there. Mrs. Morse. Let's just go home. Let's pray and we're dismissed. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Deaton. Mrs. Morse. She said in the sweetest, most motherly voice. Did you guys hear her just like tell you all to leave me alone this morning? That's what she was doing. If you heard her voice, she said, he's tired. And it was like so motherly. It was the sweetest thing ever. It was a blessing. All right. Are you in John chapter 6 or something or 7 or 70 or whatever? Yeah, you in the Bible? Okay, good. It's all good, so you'll get a blessing. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, John 6, 60, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Now watch in verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? Now hang on a second. You know what time you're living in right now? I already told you you're in the church age, right? You know what you got all over this country right now? Listen, put me in the pulpit in any mega church that's a rock band type of church, you know, one of those kind of churches, a wishy-washy church. Just, just give me a month. I don't think I'll last that long. Give me one Sunday. And I'll preach one Sunday. I'll open up the passage. I'll, I will resist my temptation to run any agenda. I'll find a passage of Scripture, open it up, and preach an expository message from a passage of Scripture on what God expects of a Christian and what He doesn't. I'll preach on sin, like old-fashioned preach on sin, like old-fashioned hellfire and damnation preaching without apology, from the right heart, with the right spirit, prayed up. I'll fast and pray before I get in the pulpit. And I will guarantee you what will happen. I don't know how I've wound up in some of the places I've wound up other than God put me there at one point to reach some people that are still in our church today because they were teenagers. And I wound up in a pulpit. It wasn't even a pulpit. They gave me a lectern. And they don't have preaching. 
And there was a few hundred people there. And I preached. I stomped my foot in the whole nine yards and the place was like ice. <laughs> and there was about three or four young guys in there. Well, actually, there was a few of them. Actually, there was about a dozen or so that started coming at first, right? Something like that. Kids. All the kids. Four of them are still with us today. Uh, four? Three. There's three here tonight. That was, how long ago? Twelve years ago? You weren't there. You'd already graduated. Long time ago. Over a decade. Twelve years ago? Uh, that's why God had me there. But the vast majority of the adults were like, walking through the hallway. Like, man, I don't know how this happened. You, you know what day you're in? You're in a day and age where born-again people that know Jesus Christ are offended by what He says. They're, how, 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 what? I mean, come on, man. I don't get that. How in the world can you get offended by a Bible being preached and the truth being told? Sin is still sin, whether your mama's guilty or your grandma's guilty or your papa's guilty or your kid is guilty, your little daughter, your little son, your little angel, whether they're guilty or not, right is right and wrong is wrong. And as a Christian, you shouldn't get offended at that. And when he says stuff you don't understand, because you don't always understand everything. I told you this morning, I'm not sure what this is. I was honest. I'm not offended. I'm not changing it. I know something's there I don't get, and I'm asking him to show me. I'm glad he wrote the Bible like that. I'll be a 75, if I make it, if I'm still, I'll probably be shot dead before then, but if I make it to be a 75-year-old man still preaching the Bible, it's exciting to me to know that I'm going to open this book and say, God, I don't get that. Would you show me that someday? You ain't never made it to the Bible. Don't get offended at the Bible. But that's the day and age you're living in. Look at the next verse. What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. How about that? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's your Bible. That's the words that come forth from Jesus Christ. That's why we open the Bible and we run the references and we go verse by verse. And when I preach to you, I preach expository messages down through a passage of Scripture so you see who the authority is and you get the spirit that God wants you to have and the life that God wants you to have. Verse 64, for there are, But there are some of you that believe not. That comforts my heart. You know why? Because I'm sure of it. I'm sure as the church grows, there's people sit here and pay attention during the preaching and down in their mind and their heart, they're mocking. I hope not. But I've just been doing it long enough to know sometimes people walk with you for years until it finally comes out that they were never really with you anyways. I don't know what gets them to come and gets them to stay. It's got to be an evil spirit, to be honest with you. Just an absolutely evil spirit where you'll sit there under that kind of preaching and Bible like it, like you get here, and you'll sit there, well, I never really believed the King James Bible anyways. Well, I always thought he took that too far anyhow. But you pretend like you're one of us. Well, he did it to Jesus, so what do you expect? That's comforting to me. I just don't want to be guilty. I don't want anybody to slide off of one of these church pews in this building and drop into devil's hell because they didn't hear it from me. If you slide off of that church pew and drop into a hell and into hell and stay there for eternity, I want to know for sure that you did it because you're wicked and you wouldn't listen to the truth and you don't care about your soul and you wouldn't get saved and you heard it clear. Amen. Just because you're a member of this church don't mean you're born again. 
Verse 64, For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, now you're in John chapter 6, right? They told you, I showed you last time that chapter and verse markings are pretty wild in your Bible, didn't mind me? It's pretty obvious when we ran those references like, this is amazing. And I showed you the book order and the way the books are laid out, how miraculous it is. It's what you're holding in your lap is a miracle from God. If you don't have the faith to believe that, then you, you are helpless. I, can't, I don't understand why people can believe that the world showed up from nothing, but they can't believe God can give us a book. I don't understand why people believe God can save your soul, put the Spirit of God in you, and seal you under the day of redemption, and guarantee you a home in heaven for eternity, in spite of the fact that you're a sinner, but they don't believe God can give you a book. A book? They believe God can speak the world into existence, and God can, and He made the stars also. Yep, God did it. God spoke it in heaven. But He can't give you a book. That ain't hard. Chapter and verse markings aren't inspired because they weren't in the originals. You're an idiot. You ain't been reading that Bible that God gave you. John 6, right? What verse? It's John 6, 6, 6. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Coincidence, I know. Just like all the other ones are coincidence. Verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? One of the most profound verses in the Bible. Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where are you going to go? Verse 69, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. How many letters are in Judas Iscariot? How many? What's 13 the number of? <laughs> six is the number of man. Six, six, six. And 13 is the number of rebellion. And there's 13 letters in the name Judas Iscariot. Now, ain't that a trip? It's all just, you know, it, is just, it doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, that's, he's taking it too far. It's not really inspired. The son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. You know who that is? That's the son of perdition. That's the one he handed the sop. Do you know what it tells you in the book of Acts? We don't have time to go there for right now, but you know what it tells you in the book of Acts? It tells you that he went unto his, unto his place. You know what that place is? The bottomless pit. Um, let me see here. I gotta, I gotta cut it short. Go to Revelation chapter nine. I want to show you another one back in Zechariah as well. Let me check this one real quick. Revelation nine. Yeah, nine eleven. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, and in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon, meaning destruction. He's a king over the bottomless pit. He went to his place. He was that devil sitting at the table with Jesus Christ. And he's a great mimicker of Jesus Christ. Go to Zechariah chapter 11. He's got a bride. He's got a book. He gets killed and rises from the dead. 
He goes into the temple in the tribulation period and sits down in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Zechariah chapter 11. Here's a great passage right here. This is some of those, one of those minor prophets that everybody just kind of like, oh, I have to read this. You need to learn what you're reading and it won't be boring to you. Zechariah then Malachi. Zechariah chapter 11, look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. So he pretends to be a shepherd. He pretends to be a preacher. He pretends to be a prophet. He pretends to be a, a, a religious leader. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land which shall not visit those that be cut off. Neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. Watch this. The sword shall be upon his arm, and upon his right eye his arm shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. Now, we'll get into it more as we get farther into Revelation, but what you've got to understand is this guy gets killed and rises from the dead. He's wounded unto death. That's a wild thing. Go back to Revelation chapter number 11, and we'll get into it a little deeper as we get farther into this study going through this book. But this is, you've got the man of sin. Uh, he, he, he rises from the dead as the son of perdition. He's the devil incarnate. He comes up out of hell. And uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Do you see that? That's Jerusalem. But he said it spiritually. It's the great city. You know why? Because that's God's land. I told you this morning that Psalm 87 we were in is talking about the holy mountains. It is a holy place. That's God's property. So I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what the politicians think. I don't care what's going on in Palestine and the West Bank, blah, blah, blah. I don't care about any of that stuff. God said what's going to happen with that land. That's God's land. And nobody's going to change that. It's a holy piece of dirt to God. And Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign in Jerusalem, in that temple, in the millennial kingdom for a thousand years, literally, visibly, on this earth. He's going to sit on that throne and reign in Jerusalem. And that's why it's so important to everybody. That's why it's so important to the Muslims. And that's why it's so important to the, to the Catholics. And that's why it's so important to the Jews. Uh, because God's got the world's attention on that piece of land and it's going to stay there. The preacher said something this week that I was glad he said because I tend to think possibly the same way, and he didn't make any kind of a statement on it, but he said, I don't know, but possibly the U.S. ain't even here anymore by the time it happens. Something catastrophic may happen to this nation, and we might not be in the picture at all, because it's hard to find us in the Bible. I thought that was a profound statement. I've had the same wonder myself. I don't know. I mean, a nation that has all the blessings we had and the Bible we had and thumbs its, uh, its nose in the face of God and just shakes its fist at God and turns around and walks away and starts beating its chest about its pride and we don't need God and we don't need authority and we don't need... I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, if God didn't spare the natural branches, take heed. What he said is, if I did what I did to the Jews, you better watch out, Gentiles, what I'll do to you. That seems to me to be a warning that says what you see happen to the Jews is child's play compared to what I'll do to you. And you think about this for a minute. The Jews rejected the Messiah, right? They crucified the Son of God, 
But folks, we got something we don't even deserve. And after we get the blessings of God and the blessings of the cross and the blessings of a King James Bible and the blessings of the Spirit of God and spit in the face of God, can you imagine what God would do to somebody that does that to his son after all his son did for you? That's why you young people need to get it in your head, man. This world can get away with stuff you're not going to get away with. You have too much truth given to you for too long, and God's trying to do something with you. God cares about you. You've had people invest in the truth in you. If you walk away from that truth, if you throw it away, if you harden your heart and refuse to say, you know what, I'm going to listen. I want to follow God. I want God's blessing. God only knows what's going to happen to your life. That scares me for you. Anyways, that wasn't in my notes. i got to get back on track. So that city, that holy ground over there, is spiritually Sodom in Egypt. And they crucified the Lord. Their dead bodies are lying in the street. Watch this, verse 9. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations. So you'll notice somehow or another something has occurred to where there's a whole lot of people there involving nations, plural, at the time. Shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Moses and Elijah get killed and they're laying in the street for three and a half days. Now in the hot sun, laying out in the street for three and a half days, a dead body. You guys realize what that means? They are bloated. They got rigor mortis set in. They are stinking. Ask ask Dan. He's had to come into some situations where they've been laying there for a little while and nobody knew it. He told us the story of one girl. Her bedroom was so trash, she overdosed on some kind of drug or something. that He said they, had to, they couldn't even get to her. The floor was falling through and they're having to move trash bags and there's an arm stuck up in the air all stiff sticking out of it. That's how they knew where she was to get to her. You realize how fast your body starts wasting when you're dead? People are stepping over those dead bodies laying in the street, walking around those. They had to stink their land. There's Moses and Elijah. <laughs> God's prophets. God loves them. God's blessed them and used them. And God lets the Antichrist come up and kill them. And the people don't even bother. They won't suffer. They won't let anybody drag them out and leave them there. No, you leave them there. That's our trophy. We like it. That's how vile these people are in the tribulation period. Verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. Now, look at this next phrase. And make merry... And shall send gifts one to another. Now, it's a bit of a stretch, but it's possible. And some of them are saying this. It could possibly be a Christmas time. Making merry and sending gifts. That's just a thought for you. But either way, they're so happy about these guys being dead that they're partying over it. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Wait a minute. All they were doing was preaching to them. They're trying to give them the truth. They're trying to save them from the, the, the damnation of hell. They're trying to save them from, from the devil, the, the man of sin, the Antichrist coming up out of the box. They're trying to warn them. They're trying to tell them the judgment of God is here. And that's a torment? I mean, now, doesn't that sound wild to you? It sounds about as wild as 20 years ago, the thought, talk about UFOs was wild. And the preachers that could study their Bible and were looking at Ezekiel and looking at the things that are described, flying saucers over there, and trying to tie that stuff together by studying a Bible, no, more than 20 years ago, 40 or 50 years ago. 
Bible-believing preachers are looking at that stuff and going, you know what, I wonder if that has a connection here and there. And now, as you're getting closer to the end, they're looking for some kind of advanced intelligence. They believe there's something out there. They're wanting it to come. And everybody used to make fun of the old preacher because he said that there's a good chance the Antichrist comes down on a UFO and steps off that thing and says, I'm Jesus, I'm here to solve all the problems. But nowadays, it's, they're taking it real serious. And don't they think as the real problem? You know, what the, you, know what they're, you know where they're getting to in this country? They're getting to what they think the real problem is? You Christians. That's why I said it at camp, and, I, and I'm probably right. I'm trying to get my head in a place where I'm good with going to jail. Because I could see it happening in my lifetime. That's hate speech. You say homosexuality is a sin. You say that if you have... Uh, uh, um, uh, Immoral relationships before you're married, it's a sin. Fornication is still fornication. I don't care what your culture is doing, and I don't care what you think about it. Some things aren't holy until you're married. One man, one woman for life. Girls, if a guy wants that from you before he marries you, he ain't marrying material. He ought to keep his hands off you. And boys, if a girl wants that out of you before she'll marry you, she'll do it to you. She will cheat on you in a heartbeat later. You listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. You'll come crying a bucket of tears, and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll open my office. You'll sit down. I'll love you. I'll help you. I'll pray with you. I won't tell you I told you so. So I'm telling you so now. That's just the facts of the matter. Oh, you're the problem. You're a hate monger. I ain't a hate monger. I love people enough to tell them the truth even though they hate me for it. I don't care if you like me or not. I love you enough to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Take it or leave it. Oh, those preachers are the problem. Yeah, okay. Moses and Elijah were too. It's torture to have to listen to them. Ah! I can't take it! You go down there and street up, preach on the street in Ann Arbor? Not Detroit. What's that tell you? Not Detroit. I mean, the one, the one woman the other day, she said to the guy, she said, Don't cuss, you're in church! We're on the street giving them hot dogs and clothes. We weren't in church. But somebody was preaching, and she had enough respect to yell at the guy for cussing and said, we're in church. <laughs> I thought, wow. You go downtown here to Ann Arbor, these rich people, you know, these, these stinking self-righteous, educated, rich idiots, and you start preaching the truth. And boy, it's, it's torture to them. You just wreck their day. They'll kill you for it. I'm telling you right now, you let some of these ones that are little ones now and being brainwashed, they'll, they'll do this. He tormented them. Verse 11, after three days and a half... Interesting. The spirit of life from God entered into them. Ain't that a blessing, man? And they stood upon their feet. Dead, bloated, stinking bodies. Starting to pop, skin, stretching, weird color. God just says, And them boys just shake it off and stand up. Oh, man. Shaking off that stiffness. And everybody's like, you weren't puking when you were sitting there bloated, but I can't believe that idiot's up and he's going to start preaching again. Scares them half to death. Great fear fell upon them which saw them. See, the Bible's boring, isn't it? Isn't this terrible? Isn't this just like torture? Don't you just hate the Bible? It's just, oh, we got to go to church. He's going to go in the Bible again. There's nothing boring about this, man. And they heard a great voice from heaven. Somebody said, preacher, can you really go for four hours? (laughs) 
You think because I'm tired, oh good, he's tired, he'll be short tonight. I might have you in, you know, Ecclesiasticus or something. You know, I might tell you to turn to Revolutions, but we'll be going to Revolutions and Genesis and all kinds of places. <laughs> all right, uh, verse 12. When they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. You know what that is? That's the same voice that was over there in Revelation chapter 4 at the end of the church period. That's a rapture. You're probably about six months out from the end of the tribulation period right here, and a rapture occurs. God raptures these two guys out. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Yep. You just got to know where to place it, and you got to know where you're at. I'm pre-trib for the church. Here's, your, here's, here's a rapture being called up towards the end of the tribulation period, and they send it up into heaven in a cloud. Remind you of any other passages? And their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and an earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. And they were like, uh-oh. Verse 14, the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. So you're getting real close to the end of the tribulation now. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms. Do you see that? You see the plural? The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Now wait a minute. That's important because your new Bibles drop the S at the end of kingdoms. You know why? Because what they're doing is they're erasing the dispensations. They're demonically inspired to drop the S. I just wonder what snake was whispering in their ear when he told those guys that are translating your Bibles and giving you an updated Bible to drop the S off that. You know what that shows you? That shows you a premillennial return of Jesus Christ to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years over the kingdoms of this world, that it is His literal, visible, bodily return to rule in this, na- in this earth, on this planet, the one you're on right now, this one. He's going to reign on this one for a thousand years before the new one comes later, before eternity begins. He's sitting on that throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And He's going to have a whole different system set up And that system is explained to you in the New Testament. When he comes preaching the kingdom of heaven, he's reigning over literal, visible kingdoms on this planet. Don't change your Bible. You'll miss it all. And none of the Bible will make sense to you anymore. But you believe that book the way it's written, and you let somebody, you pray over it. I tell everybody this all the time. Don't you just trust me. You pray and you ask God if I'm telling you the truth. And then you open the book, and when I show you what the Bible says, you run the references, and you pray, and you ask God for the truth. No man, if you're saved, you got the Spirit of God in you, and you're looking for truth, no man will be able to deceive you if you're begging God to show you the truth. The Spirit of God will confirm that to you. You will know it. Oh, that shouldn't be said. It shouldn't say kingdoms. It should say kingdom, because in the original, that's actually singular. Okay, snake. I want it to say kingdoms because I want to know exactly what he's talking about. Look at verse 16. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. 
And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. Where's that ark at? So I told you already, Indiana Jones is not a nothing. You ain't going to find it. It's gone. God's got it up there. And you see it here. As seen in his temple, the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunders and a great earth and an earthquake and great hail. It's kind of weird how much hail we've been getting this year, ain't it? I ain't never seen it this much before. I got my insurance company is going to give me a new roof. And I'm like, all right, Lord, what can we stall here to get through the rest of the season? Because more hail hit. I guess we'll just have them do another one. I don't know. <laughs> That's wild, ain't it? I think the thing's gearing up. I think the weather patterns are gearing up. The behavior patterns of people's gearing up. The wildness and insensitivity of mankind's gearing up. But you know what you probably just missed? You probably just missed the fact that between verses 16 and 15 and 16, you got a thousand years. Now, now, it'll make sense to you as we keep going, but I told you when we started at the beginning of Revelation, I told you you've got to understand the author and the way he writes and his writing style. Remember me telling you that? Because if you understand his writing style and you study his writing style, the more you study his writing style, the more you'll get the stuff he tucks in there that can easily be missed. Do you know it's normal writing style for God to, in one verse, jump a thousand years or two thousand years? What you went to when you read verse 15, you see him in the millennial kingdom. And then when you get to verse 16 with the four and 20 elders before the throne of God, you're at the great white throne judgment all the way out at the end. And what's happening there is the people in the tribulation period and the people that that were here alive during the millennial kingdom have not yet been rewarded or judged on their eternal soul. They're opening up those books and they're rewarding them at the great white throne. You're receiving rewards and they're receiving judgment as to whether or not they're saved based on whether or not what they did matched up with the instructions they were given in their time period. You know you were saved 100% at the cross of Calvary. You get the judgment seat of Christ in heaven after the rapture during the tribulation period while they're down here going through absolute hell. And I'm not saying that to cuss. I'm telling you, I showed you already that he comes up from the bottomless pit and stuff gets belched out of earth, that's out of hell, that's some weird, wacky, demonic spirits. We went through them already, you remember? They're going through hell down here. And you're up there in heaven at the, at the judgment seat of Christ because you're saved and you're being judged based on what you did for him after you were saved based on your rewards. You're not being judged for your eternal soul because that was all washed away the day you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. When you got to Calvary, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know you have it. He gave you eternal life when he saved you. I want to show you one verse real quick and we'll stop here with this verse. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9 and what I want you to see is I want you to see the writing style of the author. Okay, that's the, that's the point I want to make to you so that you understand why we would interpret 
Revelation chapter 11 the way we did and that it's not a private interpretation. It's an interpretation based on our Bible knowledge and based on running other references and comparing Scripture with Scripture and spiritual things with spiritual. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse number 6. Oh, I just panicked. I went to 10.6 and I'm like, that is not the verse I'm looking for. Isaiah 9.6. All right, look at verse, uh, yeah, 9.6. For unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. Right? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Wait a minute. When was Jesus born? How long ago was that? Right at 2,000 years ago? Guess who the God of this world is? Guess who's running the governments right now? It ain't Jesus, folks. The Bible says Satan is the God of this world and that there's principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. But when you get raptured out and the tribulation period kicks off and God deals with Israel and Israel sees their, their Messiah coming back and a nation is born in a day when they see their Messiah coming at the last second to deliver them from utter destruction and they look upon him whom they pierced and Israel hits its knees and recognizes, oh no, he was the one. And they're converted to their their Messiah. He's going to do what in Jerusalem? He's going to set up his kingdom. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign on the earth. So what do you have in Isaiah chapter 9? Verse 6, God all of a sudden, as he talks to you, unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given, he jumps 2,000 years to the millennial kingdom and says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. As a 2,000 year jump just like that in one verse. Now, Jesse reminded you of it on Wednesday night, but I've been telling you, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Now you look back at Isaiah 9, 6, once you know the New Testament, and you go through the book of Revelation and you go, oh wow, you know what's tucked in there? 2,000 years of you and me getting a chance to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if you're saved tonight, praise the Lord for it, you better check up on your works. How are you living? Because when He reigns, if you're faithful, if you suffer, you'll reign with Him. For a thousand years. But if you're not faithful to do right right now, in that thousand year period, at least you're saved, but you ain't going to get a chance to reign with them. You're going to regret that for a thousand years. That's a scary thought. And if you're not saved, you need to get saved, man. Because I think he's coming real soon. And if you study Bible prophecy and you look at the madness of this world, uh, you'd be convinced pretty quick he's coming soon. And uh, if he comes and gets us out of here, you're in a world of hurt. All right, that's a blessing, ain't it? <laughs> Let's go ahead and, and pray, and we'll be dismissed tonight. Thank you for being here. Father, we